Hey traders, welcome to the 43rd episode of the Performante podcast. This podcast, we're going to be talking about XRP, some news regarding an exchange that is uh, getting into some trouble because they were allowing their customers to exchange what the SEC deems to be a security, which is the XRP token. We'll talk a little bit about Warren Buffett and what he said in history that is probably biting him in the ass a little bit right now. We'll look at a Bitcoin ETF that is being proposed yet again, and then we'll end off the podcast with a little bit of news on a uh, another oil giant that is using its energy to actually mine more BTC. So thank you very much for tuning in, and I'll pass it over on to Nathan. I appreciate you spending your time with us. The day is December 30th, 2020. We are on New Year's Eve, Eve. Just two days before the turn of the decade, swooping over into 2021. So just jumping into the news stories, we have a story of perfect revenge, where the Bitcoin market cap is rapidly approaching, I believe it is only a couple hundred million dollars away from matching the Berkshire Hathaway in total market cap. This is significant because the Berkshire Hathaway company is basically Warren Buffett's love child. It is his, he is the CEO, he calls the shots, and uh, a little while ago, many years ago, he called Bitcoin rat poison, I believe that was in 2016, when it kind of made that start of the bull run, and uh, a couple months after, later in a shareholder meeting, he called it rat poison squared, because it had gone from $100 to $1,000, and that was in May 2018, with an interview in CNBC. And so I think that on a day like today where Bitcoin has made that monumental climb to match the Berkshire Hathaway market cap, Warren Buffett's probably uh, a little bit sad eating his McDonald's for dinner. <laughs> yeah, the daily. He's uh, actually pretty notorious for being a pretty unhealthy eater and drinker, or he just likes to drink a lot of Coke because he owns so many shares. But uh, yeah, we are seeing Bitcoin really kind of cut the heads off of these ma massive, huge companies like JP Morgan. We see uh, Citibank. We see, let's say, Berkshire Hathaway, even like investment firms and funds, which is pretty unbelievable. So like we've been talking about in a previous podcast, BTC has no real corporate structure, yet it is the uh, largest cap in terms of the financial services, looking at Visa, looking at PayPal. These are smaller than BTC in, in terms of market cap. So it's pretty unbelievable. And we see that Bitcoin is still climbing, still gaining that market cap. So uh, I think that we know Warren Buffett has his uh, really, uh, the I guess, blue chip, long-term investing, value inf investing on lock. Obviously, he's uh, one of the best at what he does. But in terms of adopting new technology, he was late to the game on tech stocks like Amazon, looking at Netflix, NVIDIA. Uh, he knows the value investing for older companies, manufacturing, production, and consumers and all that stuff. But um, I think for disruptive early adoption, we should not be looking at Warren Buffett for his view. Yeah, I think when it comes down to it, he's not as involved in like the up and coming technologies that are being adopted. Like you said, he kind of missed the tech bubble. If I recall, he bought a hefty position on Amazon near all time high before the market absolutely tanked in March. And so 
he only buys what he is very confident in, and obviously he has become a very successful and established investor doing that, which I think is important to recognize because ultimately when it comes down to investing in the financial markets, you have to know what you are investing in inside out. You have to do it with conviction. You have to understand the products, understand the contingencies, what could go wrong, when it could go wrong, and what are the implications, how you can fix it. And ultimately, I think that Warren Buffett has really dug his toes in the sand, said Bitcoin is rat poison, Bitcoin is rat poison squared. He's taken that route because he doesn't think the technology serves a purpose and he would way rather stick to collecting billions of dollars in dividend payments every year, every quarter, as Warren Buffett does. I think realistically, maybe a product of kind of how he came to be is that he really grew up when America was going through massive times of change and you could accumulate stock like McDonald's or Coca-Cola or any of his dividend aristocrat stocks at a much cheaper price relative to the are now. And I think given that he's been doing that for so long, you've really seen that dividend reinvestment program pay off with that massive accumulation, snowball, and overall trajectory of that kind of approach where when you look more at how modern traders, investors operate, I think they're much more interested in growth tech stocks or assets that appreciate quickly with a higher risk versus the traditional approach that Warren Buffett takes where you buy McDonald's, buy Coke, and you wait 50 years. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who definitely are in the same boat of the tech stocks, the disruptive space, the early adopters and new technology. Is definitely the places that we like to look. Um, yes, gold and silver are very long-term stores of value and have been for thousands and thousands of years, but uh, we definitely like our crypto and disruptive technologies. So he has his space. We have ours. Um, we think that Bitcoin is going to the absolute moon uh, over time. He thinks it's rat poison. So uh, we will see who is uh, laughing at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah 100 percent. on the off chance where you got to keep with the trend on the off chance yeah. the big profits listening to this would love to have you on chat shit about <laughs> dividends maybe you can make us a conservative portfolio to hedge against our uh, risk risk on assets let's call it yeah that would be funny oh what a conversation <laughs> so uh moving on to the next topic we're going to be diving a little bit into xrp and the lawsuit that they have uh, got against or the SEC has against XRP for the unregistered securities offerings of 1.2-ish billion dollars. So we do see a massive exchange. They initially delisted XRP. They were talking about it. It was headline news, but they did get hit uh, and they're getting sued over the sale of XRP tokens by the SEC. So Pretty unbelievable stuff. Uh, we'll see how it goes down. Obviously, they are scrambling and, and really making sure that XRP is completely off all systems. But I think a lot of exchanges are going to see what Coinbase is going through and immediately be like, I don't want to deal with this. That's a lot of money for costs, including lawyers and, and, and what else there is. Uh, the regulatory hoops that you, I'm sure that you have to hoop through in order to actually comply with the SEC. Pretty unbelievable stuff, but uh, yeah, Coinbase is getting hit with a lawsuit. Yeah, 100%. It's basically just a Northern California regional lawsuit. It's a class action, which is pretty interesting. Basically alleging that Coinbase was aware that XRP was a security and continued to sell it to their consumers. 
So obviously it seems like some people are trying to go for the throat with this legal case, try and take as much as they can. Because ultimately I think that the result of this case against Coinbase is completely dependent on the result of the XRP versus SEC case that's pending. And uh, just to keep in line with that, we've seen other very large names in the space like Binance jump in and say they are going to delist XRP specifically on the Binance.us, not on Binance Global. I don't know if they have plans, but that makes sense given that Binance US serves and regulates within the US financial system. So it makes sense that it would be taken away in light of everything that's happening between XRP, Ripple Labs, and the SEC. And one thing that I just wanted to touch on briefly was the idea of the Howey test, because this is basically how something the SEC determines if it is a security or if it is not a security. There's four items in this test, and if all four apply, then it is a security. And so the first is an investment of money. There has to be money put into an asset. And this is where something like a gift is not considered a security because you're receiving a gift, you're not paying for it. There's no investment. The second is an expectation of profits, meaning that if you put money into something with the intent that you are going to get more money back, that is the second tenet of the Howey test. The third is a common enterprise, meaning that the success of the asset in question is related to the performance of the asset in question or the company creating it. And this is where something like a collectible, like a Pokemon card, for example, is not considered a security because the value of the Pokemon card is not dependent on the value of the Pokemon company, which I guess in this case would be Nintendo. And the fourth and final one is that uh, it's from the effort or the evaluation or depreciation is from the efforts of a promoter or third party, which in this instance, I think that Ripple Labs plays a crucial role in the overall success of the XRP ecosystem because they have to find business partnerships, they have to find use cases. And so just to reiterate what the four tenets of the Howey test is in context of the Ripple, the Ripple fiasco, let's call it, in my opinion, Ripple is an investment of money because you are putting money into it with the expectation you will get some back. So there is that expectation of profits. It is a common enterprise because the evaluation of XRP depends on the performance of Ripple. And fourth and final is that the efforts of the promoter or third party directly correlate to the performance of the asset. So I think without a doubt, the first two apply the investment money and expectation of profits, but the second two are where the major contention will lie. And I think that's where the SEC is going to have not necessarily the most weight against Ripple, but I think those final two points there are going to be the ones that Ripple are going to have to work very hard to prove not to be true. Yeah, it would be pretty hard to get out of that one. That's You're going to have to hire some pretty unbelievably good lawyers to argue the case that XRP is not deemed to be a security because all those I would for sure put a check mark above. <laughs> so uh, yeah, 100% like it, 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 they say it acts like a currency, but ultimately I think that when you kind of have that international corporation that more or less spoon feeds the currency in question, then you're straying away from strictly what a currency is. Because when you look at Bitcoin or Ethereum, it's not you can't sue Bitcoin. There's nobody. There's nobody there. 
but you can see Ripple. And I think that's realistically where the functional differences come from, not only from an investor standpoint, but from a regulatory standpoint. Yeah, and I think they almost tried to make it look very corporate structure-like because Brad is definitely out in center. Everyone knows the CEO. He knows that he is the CEO and he is a pretty major influencer within the space in terms of being a figurehead and, and you know the things that he says matters and he's invited to all these events pre-COVID. So he definitely was the CEO and outspoken about that. And you don't see that with other companies so much, in my opinion, at least. Um, maybe you do, but I just found through maybe through social media and just from people talking, um, a lot of people saw him as a figurehead and seeing Ripple as this cor corporate structured organization that is jumping through all the regulatory hoops in order to actually attain a friendly relationship with the SEC, for example. But um, clearly they did not find success going that route and they have now made enemies with the SEC. So we will see how it goes. But just from the test that Nathan kind of talked about, uh, it is, in my opinion, looking a little bit bleak. And I think a lot of exchanges are seeing that as well. And that's why they are delisting, trying to move away from the situation until it cools down. And I think even if it's not a massive lawsuit, having the SEC kind of attack Coinbase because of previous actions will create even more uncertainty now in the present as well as in the future for exchanges to actually continue having their clients trade and transact XRP. So... We'll see how it goes. Uh, definitely, we will keep everyone updated. There's quite a bit of news that's coming. And it's not, in, in our opinion, like a small amount of FUD or a little bit of uncertainty. It's a pretty major event that is happening within Ripple Labs. So uh, we will see how it goes and make sure that everyone is up to date. Did you have anything to add before we move on, Nathan? No, nothing else to add on to that. Just wanted to reiterate that we will continue keep everyone updated because obviously the whole XRP regulation had there. I mean, even recently there's just been loads of news stories that never just end within 24 hours. There's constantly updates and same as cryptocurrency as an entire sector where the niche that never sleeps with 24, seven, 365, not only with the price action, but with the break in news. So stay tuned. We'll do our best to keep everyone informed. And to move on to our next story here, we have more news about a Bitcoin ETF. So Vanek has really been the one to reiterate their proposals, resubmit it. And uh, it's pretty funny, actually. One day in August, I believe it was August 18th, 2020, uh, they declined 19 proposals. Sorry, August 2018. They declined 19 proposals for a Bitcoin-based ETF. They just said, enough is enough. And that was when the SEC chairman Jay Clayton was at the head of the was at the head of the SEC. But now we have a new one coming in, 2021, who is allegedly more friendly towards crypto regulation. Uh, and so Vanek leaped, leapt on that opportunity, submitted a application to Edgar for a new Bitcoin ETF. Interesting to note, I'm just looking at the application here, 20 page document, super boring, super dry, but it only costs $109 to register for an ETF, which is a pretty funny amount of money, just to kind of throw something at the SEC for them to read, consider and reply. They'll take anything, honestly, but it's kind of funny how, if there's anything related to do with regulatory uh, 
papers, documents, they're always going to give you a little bit of a ding because they can and they kind of got a monopoly in that case. What are you going to say, right? So um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Great to see that they are continuing and pushing to get that ETF because at the end of the day, someone has to. The uh, ease of friction is really important within a new asset class, especially as disruptive and I guess you could say challenging as cryptocurrencies if you are not really tech savvy. If you do not want to use a ledger, don't want to deal with exchanges because you heard, you've like heard about Mt. Gox or maybe another exchange. If you're Canadian, maybe Quadra CX. So that ability to go to a fund or an ETF that is uh, regulated and have that ability to get exposure is really important. So hopefully that gets approved. Obviously that would allow more people who are not just institutional, but also retail traders who are able to invest within an ETF to get exposure to BTC. So great to see, but just a warning, you don't actually own the coins if you purchase the uh, instrument or the ETF itself, just to make sure everyone understands if you want to long-term invest BTC, go through the trials and tribulations, learn how to use a ledger or any hardware wallet, and you'll be definitely be thanking yourself. So moving on to the final discussion of the podcast, we do see a uh, huge oil drilling giant open up a crypto mining farm that runs on gas energy. And we've seen actually quite a few oil companies within the United States do a similar sort of... Um, kind of, I guess, excess energy uh, recycling to some degree because they have all this excess energy where they have to use, right now they're burning it, right? So it makes sense to try to use that energy for something profitable if you're looking at it financially, but you're just wasting money. So I think what a lot of oil and drilling companies are doing is using that natural gas to mine BTC and then they're able to make more money as well as related to the blockchain network, you're decentralizing the network itself because you're going to have all these different miners all over the world mining Bitcoin. So I think it's great. It's a great use of the natural gas that would normally be wasted. And uh, yeah, I think it's definitely a good incentive for huge corporations to mine BTC. And it'd be interesting to see if they will sell it or if they'll hold it and then they'll see the massive increase in price or the appreciation. And then they might start to get interested as to why and then they'll dive into the deep to dark uh, hole of cryptocurrencies and then they might be looking at a portfolio manager just like tesla might be so i think it is possible um at the end of the day so we'll see how it goes yeah ultimately i think they're just trying to find a more efficient use for the energy they are creating ultimately co2 is produced and they can do something with it. And so it looks like they are using 150 units of the S7 ASEX on site. This is just a preliminary test. I think they're really just looking for proof of concept, basically showing that, hey, we are able to do this with modern technologies. And with those 150 S7s, they mined 1.8 Bitcoin using 49,500 cubic meters of carbon dioxide gas that's produced as a result of their mining activities. Which, hey, that's awesome. That's a great, uh, great ROI. Actually, I don't know if it's a great ROI, but 1.8 Bitcoin is a hefty amount of Bitcoin to be created from CO2 as a result of oil drilling. So lo and behold, Russians maybe getting a little bit more eco-friendly, reduce, reuse, recycle, and just kind of, I guess, literally transforming carbon dioxide into Bitcoin via ant miners. Pretty intuitive. It'll be interesting to see how that technology develops because... 
we've heard stories from Iran, for example. They are using oil energy that's already been converted into electricity to mine Bitcoin. Venezuela is taking a similar route, but this Russian proof of concept is using gas energy. It's not using the excess energy from oil transversion into energy. They're using the gas, which is, I guess is a little bit, not necessarily cleaner, but it's a different approach to that methodology of turning free energy into Bitcoin. Can't really go wrong with that. And so that is a great place to end our episode. The date is December 30th, and I'll wrap it on over to Keith to, to finish the episode. Yeah, I think uh, Putin's going to be pretty excited to uh, be accumulating and stacking those sats. So great to see that globalization, that decentralization, and uh, I think that is a good way to end off the podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. It is December 30th, and uh, hopefully you are enjoying these huge moves to the upside for BTC as well as really any other alt that you're in, except for maybe Tether, you're probably profiting. So hopefully you're enjoying it. I think it's a really good way to end off what was a, you could call it turbulent 2020 for many. So hopefully everyone had a good year. We're very excited for 2021. We have a lot of things planned, a lot of things uh, to be excited for, and uh, we want to be able to share those experiences with you. So if you haven't already, please join our Discord. If you're interested in cryptocurrencies, we have a lot of interesting discussions there. We share ideas. We look at different asset classes. We talk about the markets pretty frequently. So uh, if you're interested, I think you definitely love it. So thank you very much for tuning in to our 43rd podcast uh, within our Performante podcast th- series. And until next time, have a good one, traders.